Welcome to the Bible Archives, and today we are going to be exploring Genesis 27. And Genesis 27 is a a direct continuation of Genesis 26. In in the end of 26, we find out that uh, Esau has married Judith and uh, Basemith, or I still don't know how to actually say that, and he's 40 years old, but both of these uh, spouses are Hittites, and they're from different families. And we find out that this makes life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah, and the, the technical language there is it brought bitterness and grief to the Ruach of Isaac and Rebekah. So the spirit, the presence, the life of Isaac and Rebekah, you know, Ruach is a, is a very um, meaningful word that's in the, in the beginning, even when creation happens in Genesis, it's the Ruach of God. Well, so here Esau brings uh, bitterness and grief to the Ruach of his parents. And part of that's because this is not arranged by Esau's parents. It's kind of uh, purported to be on Esau's own accord. And these folks are not of the kin, the family, or the tribe of Abraham's ancestry. And what we found out about as Abraham is uh, kind of setting up the longevity of this people is that it has to be within this tribe, which kind of implies to us that the covenant can't can't go through Esau now. And he's made that decision. And remember, Isaac prefers Esau and the inheritance of, of the covenant. It hasn't been passed on yet. But if Esau is going to be the one to continue the covenant, it, it wouldn't happen through the means that Abraham set up. So we kind of enter into chapter 27 knowing that Esau can't do it. But how is this going to go? And now the, the emphasis is going to shift to the character of Jacob. Um, and that also means that the Isaac narrative has already begun its decline. He only really got one chapter, mm-hmm. and he wasn't even the main emphasis of that chapter. Um, but we we already saw that a conflict was brewing because Jacob and Esau, they're born. And, you know, end of chapter 25, their conflict's already been portrayed. Two nations, the elder will serve the younger. So there's already been this foreshadowing. And we saw that also briefly during um, the, the episode of the birthright. So we, mm-hmm. got a, we got a glimpse there of each of these sons' personalities and their relationship with their parents. And so the narrative has been primed for the blessing to continue. You know, the whole chapter of Isaac, you know, acting in the footsteps of Abraham, um, kind of being deceitful, receiving wealth in a questionable way, but also carrying forth the blessing of the covenant it's, this has been primed. This is about to happen. And we also know now Esau, though loved by Isaac, he's caused a problem. You know, his family line can't technically receive the covenantal blessing because he married Gentiles. So we come into chapter 27 yeah. and the reader has all this foresight. Yeah. Um, Esau, which is, you know, means red. It's based on that will become Edom, which is red. And we know that Edom eventually becomes uh, an enemy outsider to Israel and Jacob becomes the patriarch. So we know all that. This story uh, is going to explain, you know, kind of how that happens. Right. It almost seems like they're setting up Esau as a person who doesn't make good decisions. He sells his birthright for one thing pretty easily. And now he goes off and marries these Hittite women without really any consultation with his family at all. So I also kind of see this as a setup of saying, here is what Edomites look like and here comparison to, you mm-hmm. know, Israelites. And Genesis is full of that. It's yeah, full of exactly. kind of revealing how Israel's eventual enemies um, had their origins and right. why they're enemies and why they're uh, not given as much credence as Israel mm-hmm. in the stories. And this is not abnormal in the ancient world. It, this is how you justified access to land and power and all of that. So absolutely, it, Israel's kind of creating their own propaganda in that regard. <laughs> A little bit here, yes. Uh, but this story, it's not just going to be about giving us the simple details of, of what happened. You, you have that whole element of this is... We're talking about the the founder of Edom here. Mm-hmm. Um, the story is going to emphasize then how all of this came about. And that's what's going to be the clue um, to what these people and these tribes are like. 
Jacob in particular, you know, he's not just the inheritor of a birthright and a blessing. You know, he has these unusual birth circumstances. We get way more emphasis on the the actual nature of Jacob. So Jacob is a deceptive, manipulative, self-preserving trickster. And he forces his way into the covenantal blessing. And that's the essential narrative that we watch play out in chapter 27. And, and each member of the lineage uh, in the phrase of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, that's going to be repeated constantly throughout, you know, the Hebrew imagination. Mm-hmm. And each member of that lineage at some point in Genesis is portrayed as entering into that role rife with problems. You know, there's all these inadequacies. There's all these questionable ethics. And there's, there's a chance that this refrain was already in existence before these narratives were written down formally. Um, so I kind of sense that these stories here are taking the time to portray the ambiguity of these characters by looking back on them. And it's, it's so interesting because it's so different than the nostalgic glorification that we often see with nations and tribes. You know, often leaders and uh, founders especially are romanticized as these, you know, larger than life heroes in a golden age. Judaism enters into that normal rhetoric and says, well, you know, there are some issues. And so when the reader goes forward and hears this patriarchal phrase, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they get a tinge of pain in, in the names that are being recounted. And I love this because it's a, it's a very honest telling of a, a national and ethnic narrative. This also plays a theological role. You know, whatever happened with the covenant it had very little to do with these messed up people. So, you know, don't don't think for a second, Israel, that we're here because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were superhuman heroes, you know. Right, they, yeah. they, they were so, the only way this happened is because these guys were special. They did what few could, you know. The only thing that we get from them is that they were obedient and they were alive. <laughs> yeah. That's the only reason that any of this happened. Something as great as the covenant couldn't be the determination of these folks. It had to be Adonai. So this plays a theological role as well. Now, as you get into chapter 27, this is uh, a very famous narrative. It's a very rich story, a ton of detail. You know, not every chapter in Genesis is like this, uh, but this is one where it almost feels like cinema. Oh, yeah. It's been interpreted a lot of different ways, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I read, I get done reading chapter 27. And I'm like, well done. <laughs> well told. That's a, that's yeah, a good one. It's a good story. And you can tell it's J source because it has that rich narrative with all these different characters doing all these different things. Um, there is a theologian, Joel Baden, who definitely thought it was J because in his mind, the J sources are always concerned with those rivalries between Judah and between Edom. So this definitely mm-hmm. is a kind of an etiological story telling us about those beginnings. Like we were talking about Esau being the, the forefather of the Edomites. And then we have Jacob, the forefather of the Israel the Judites, and so these conflicts are already being portrayed as where do they get started on that. It's also interesting because there's a lot of folkloric motifs here. Whenever you're dealing with these folk tales, and I don't want to sound like I'm saying these are fairy tales, that they're not true, but there are always certain patterns that you're going to see in these particular tales that, that the reader would recognize, that they mean different things. Um, Susan Nittich, who I've talked about before, is a, is a folklorist and theologian, and she's talking about how there's a common theme with the older brother and the younger brother. Usually the younger brother is the one who has to go out and find his fortune, which is what we'll see Jacob ending up having to do. He sometimes has certain tasks he has to fulfill, often using trickery and deception in order to get what he wants. A lot of times he'll come up with some kind of a helper, and in this case it's Jacob's mother, Rebecca. And we see that the apple does not fall far from the tree here because Rebecca is also much the mastermind behind much of this deception that Jacob does. But then um, once he has that, uh, oh, and there's also a fool figure, and that would be his father, Isaac, in some ways, and possibly Esau, but I would say that Isaac is kind of presented as a, a figure who doesn't recognize his own sons. So um, 
you know, once these things happen, then often that person has to flee from home. So now we'll see Jacob has to flee from home, but then he finds successes abroad. And these are all motifs, patterns, type scenes that go along with that folkloric motif. Especially with a narrative that is pretty ingrained in popular memory. This one gets preached on a lot, Mm -hmm. you know, Sunday school lessons, I imagine, have been uh, rife with this. But it, it's really helpful in Genesis as a whole that when you read these stories to, to understand that they're playing with other parts of the known imagination of the culture around them. Absolutely. And, and we brought that up just in the Genesis overview mm-hmm. um, of different ways we see that happen. The different there's, there's very technical terms for how they utilize pieces of the larger culture and then how they change it to make a point. And that's the same thing that is that is happening with this story. So it begins uh, with letting us know that Isaac is old. Um, and it's really fascinating to see that uh, Isaac, we meet him a little bit when he's young. Yep. Barely get anything else. And now he's old. Mm-hmm, and he I always stay old, weirdly. I, <laughs> As we'll see in our next chapter. I, I, uh, I just... L- I almost feel bad for Isaac all the time. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, man. Um, but an important detail is he can't see very well. Yeah. And so he's going to need to rely on his other senses uh, for this penultimate moment. All right. It's a big deal. Passing on of the covenant, mm-hmm. the blessing was a big deal for Abraham. Going to be a big deal here. Isaac's got some some uh, issues working against him, though. Yes, he does. Um, yeah, he can't see. He's getting old. Um, actually, a lot of what's going on here, though, is um, based on a lot of Hurrian contracts. Again, we've talked about that before, where uh, sons and fathers sell birthrights or sons' brothers would sell birthrights to one another or blessings to one another. Um, a lot of interesting things going on here. So he calls in his elder son. Yeah. And so we, okay, this is going to happen. This contract, this covenantal blessing is going to unfold um, and we know coming into the story that the elder will serve the younger. Right. All right. This has been foreshadowed for us quite a bit. Um, Isaac says, my son. And uh, Esau responds, here I am. So that is a motif that we've already seen. It's the same refrain of Abraham uh, where a name or a title is used and the response is, here I am. Right. That's going to be extensively used in the prophets. You're going to see that in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh, the book of Acts is full of this same language. So we get that refrain. We get yep. that motif. Yep. I would say it's kind of like a statement of paternity or a statement of relationship yeah. in this case. Yes. Um, and, and it's always used with language of the covenant, right? So again, it's getting set up for us. Like, ah, something covenantal is about to happen, but the elder is going to serve the younger. Hmm, how's this going to go? Yeah. So then it reiterates Isaac's love for Esau. And Isaac loves Esau because Esau was a skilled hunter. And so as Isaac's uh, death is approaching, um, though he doesn't know when, he requests Esau to go and hunt game. And culturally, it would seem like Esau would make the better leader because he's overtly masculine. He's a good hunter. It seems like he's a good, you know, leader that way. And yet it turns out not necessarily so. Yeah. And it almost plays to some of those warrior stereotypes um, that kind of run in conflict through, you know, most of um, ancient and classical history of do you, do you want the powerful military mind or do you want the administrator? And and that's almost... Mm -hmm too stereotypical here, too generalized right, for us to the use. the philosopher king, you take your choice. Um, yeah. But that it's playing a role in this where uh, you would think ancient world, nomadic tribes, you want, you want Esau. But Esau has also shown a lack of propensity to be able to handle things well. Yeah. Um, so Isaac asked him to go hunt a game. And, and this is going to be one of the last things uh, that's going to happen for, for Isaac as he approaches to hand off this uh this this covenant yeah and i kind of wondered why the food was involved because it's kind of like we're replaying the thing with jacob and esau so 
Esau wanted the food, and Jacob asked him to sell his birthright for that food. Now Isaac is saying, I want food in order to give you this blessing. I mean, it's is there any kind of connection there? I yeah, can't believe. Yeah, I mean, there is. I think there's a connection there between that previous story, but even when the covenant has happened, it's often dealt with food or a hunt or a meal. Okay. And this, I, this was a common way to pass on lineage because it's going to be a celebration. Okay. So the hunt is probably not just Esau going out to the backwoods and shooting something and bringing it in. This is probably, you know, the entire clan that Isaac has inherited and grown. And so a hunt would be called. And this would be, this would be an ordeal. This would be a big thing. Think Game of Thrones and they go out on the boar hunt together. Everybody goes. This is a big family deal that if you're old enough now to go on the hunt, you know, right. that means you're a man now. Yeah. Right. And, and, and that's also how you collect the food. You're going to have sure. a, a, a more festive thing than just a simple conversation. Almost like an initiation. Yes. And that, that might play to some of the reason why Jacob has to run is because everybody's gathered for a thing mm-hmm. that he stole. Um, so if he were to just stick around and say, like, I'm the guy now, mm-hmm. well, you'd have to fight that with the entire the entire clan potentially gathered. Sure, because everybody else, I'm sure, is thinking of Esau because he's the oldest son, and that's the way you did things mm-hmm. back then. So uh, Isaac requests um, um, a savory meal, and again, this is playing to the things that Isaac likes about Esau, mm-hmm. and the meal is prepared, and through the meal, you know, he's going to bless Esau, before he dies, um, even though Esau, we know, can't pass on the blessing to the next generation, that's what it sounds like is about to happen. Yeah. Um, this question gets raised then. Is Esau's, Esau's preference for the elder, the elder son, a preference that only exists because of the hunting skill, is that preference causing him to potentially ruin the covenant? Right. We, as yeah. we're reading this, mm-hmm. we're going, uh, Esau, you can't do that. It's, it's, it's going to fail. It's all yeah. going to fall out. And if that's the perspective we take, all of a sudden, you know, thank Adonai that Rebecca intervenes. Good old Rebecca, here she comes. You know, or else mm-hmm. this would have been ruined. Yeah. So we, on one level, you can think of this as like Jacob's deception and this, this conflict between the brothers. You can also look at it as the covenant gets preserved. There's some sloppy means, but it gets preserved because Isaac, the fool character, mm-hmm. ain't doing this right. So then Rebecca enters into the story and Rebecca brings in Jacob and tells Jacob what's going on and adds, I will bless you before Adonai to Isaac's words. All right. So Isaac didn't say that part. Mm-hmm. Rebecca adds it. Yeah, Rebecca adds it. Susan Nittich compares Rebecca to wisdom in Proverbs because mm-hmm. she uses very similar language. She says, listen to me, my son, and do as I command you, and then you will get these blessings. So it's like she's actually making this comparison that Rebecca is the person who is acting before God. Mm-hmm. If, you know, if you're familiar with that at all in Proverbs, or if you're not, look it up in Proverbs 8 and 9, and it talks about I, wisdom, was before God. And was rejoicing before him. So it's like Rebecca's almost like that character in this position. Yeah. So she may be doing things a little sleight of hand, but it's because of a certain wisdom that she has of what needs to be done, she, a wider view of what needs to be done. She's kind of portrayed as a prophet yeah, in a way. Yeah, she kind of is. Mm. Mm. One who is the mouthpiece of the divine. Uh, she definitely takes on that role more than Isaac does. Yeah, she's kind and, of more like Sarah that way. And Sarah she has like the entire, since we met Rebecca, She's been like that. Absolutely. Um, But this line she adds, Isaac didn't say. And this brings up another interesting dimension Mm -hmm. that maybe Isaac was just going to bless Esau generally. And this wasn't actually going to be the covenantal blessing. And then Rebecca turns it into that. You know, that Mm -hmm. that's a way you could read it. I don't I wouldn't I wouldn't argue for that too heavily. But then uh, that. In response to that added line, now that's where Rebecca commands Jacob and uh, tells him to obey. And this is where we have to remember. Rebecca is often given much more credibility and authority than we might assume. And I don't usually hear the Rebecca narrative used uh, within feminist circles. Oh, Uh, it is. It is? Okay. yeah, I did some reading about that. That same Susan Nittich had lots to say. Sure. It, it, there's a lot more characters in the Hebrew Bible 
um, that get brought up in those regards, you know, particularly uh, like Deborah in Judges 4 and 5. Mm-hmm. Um, but Rebecca, there's a lot going on here. And, and mm-hmm. she's a, an amazingly developed character um, compared to what we see with most of the women in Genesis. Yeah. Um, now, verse 9 comes along and we get this really interesting detail. And I find a lot of humor going on here. Rebecca tells Jacob to go get some goats from the flock. Okay, so he's going to take it to Isaac, prepared the way Isaac likes it. Mm-hmm. So Rebecca's hands and fingerprints are all over this train wreck. Um, and that's how he's going to get the, the the blessing. And so I, as you're reading this, you, Jacob's name means deceiver. Mm-hmm. I wonder where he got that from, right? <laughs> Do we know what Rebecca's name means? I don't think I ever looked it up. The benefit of being able to pause a recording, we have looked it up, and it <laughs> yes, means ensnarer, which is a great description of Rebecca. All right, so the next thing that happens is we have our first issue because Isaac requested game. And goats do not taste like game. Now they can. They they can have a little bit more of a wild feel to them. I was thinking if you had a wild goat, there's plenty yeah. of them. Um, but you're thinking in terms of Israel and their their diet, uh, goats would be something that would be kept more like domesticated animals. Yeah. And so uh, if the alternative was a deer or um, some sort of more wild animal, from a hunt, somehow you're going to have to cook this goat well. And the issue is going to come up of like, how did you pull that off? Yeah, how did you get it so quick? Yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, they 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 take this goat, prepared the way Isaac likes it. Um, and then Jacob also brings up another glaring issue. Jacob's arms aren't hairy. And being that Isaac has to use his other senses here, mm-hmm. okay, to know what's going on, he's probably going to touch Jacob's smooth skin and he's going to know. Yeah. And the issue here is that if Isaac discovers this, Jacob could end up cursed, you know, exiled, tarnished reputation, removed from the family altogether, um, which he, he does kind of become a fugitive. Uh, but if he gets found out in the moment, this is all done. Oh, for sure. And so, you know, Rebecca, ever the strong ensnarer, says she will take the fall for Jacob. So Jacob expresses uh, the potential concern here, and and Rebecca's Rebecca's the one in control. She's prepared to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rebecca's also doing everything right. So. In some ways, this does kind of partly sound like an ethnic plot to antagonize the people of Edom down the road. For sure. Because they're adding all of these details that kind of point at them. But we're also seeing that this relationship between Rebecca and Jacob is a, is immensely powerful. Um, and I just want to take a minute to note the difference here between Rebecca and Isaac that started all the way back when when they got married. Rebecca has constantly proven to be an authority uh, and have the skill in, like you said, this correlation with Proverbs and wisdom. She's incredibly perceptive. Isaac, on the other hand, he's barely spoken this mm-hmm. entire time. You know, he's always been in the background. And, and here he's portrayed he's not physically well, while Rebecca, to our knowledge, is doing just fine. Isaac is imperceptive, both physically, you know, he can't see, and cognitively, he's not even going to know the difference between goat and game and uh, this this hair that's going to come on. Um, and I, I kind of imagine Isaac here as like this sheltered king tucked away in his chambers while Rebecca's completely running the show. Yeah, yeah. You know, if this is supposed to be a story about Edom and Judah, one almost, almost has to wonder if they're not being kind of poked at a little bit here because these women remind me a lot of the women in Judges. So you have these very yep. powerful women. And that whole story and a lot of those stories in Judges were ways to say, look, people who we are fighting against, even our women are tougher than your guys. And yeah. so it's almost like Rebecca and Jacob both together, and Rebecca is especially the main character in this particular scene, is saying, look, she's so, so much smarter than Esau, and even maybe a little bit Isaac here, 
that she's going to, you know, be the one who runs the show and makes things come out right. Mm-hmm. Um, we also get a refrain here uh, to a previous moment of DC, and this is where you start sensing the comparison between the last food item and oh. a stolen birthright mm-hmm. and now food and the stealing of the, the covenantal blessing. And because it involves a meal prepared by Jacob for a desperate man in mm-hmm. which Jacob will receive a deceitful deal. Um, and this meal also, like the other one, includes a bit of bread. Oh. So there are, I think we're being invited to see the sure, parallels here. I think so. And because Esau is out on a hunt, uh, Rebecca has access to Esau's finest clothes, which she puts on Jacob, as well as the freshly killed skins of the goat. Oh, yeah. I'm just trying to picture this. <laughs> I mean, I've seen slaughtered animals. Right. That had to stink. <laughs> well, and you would, like you were saying, you know, would, would Esau really have been that hairy? Mm-hmm. You got to understand that when you're talking once again about these folkloric stories, a lot of times things are put in there to almost be extra, extra crazy or weird or even maybe a little absurd. Um, the reader is going to see this. And there are other folk stories. For one, one that I can think of, there's a young woman who has to fool someone. She and her three sisters have married this evil man one by one. So the oldest sister gets killed, and the second one marries him, and she gets killed. The third daughter realizes something's going on, so she disguises herself as a bird by rolling in honey and then rolling in bird feathers to disguise herself as a bird. So it's like, obviously, that's not the thing. And that's what's happening here. It's like there's this... Obviously, no one's going to touch goat skins and think, oh, yeah, that's my son Esau. But the readers are seeing it. So they're thinking to themselves, how is that going to work? Is this really going to be Mm. something that Isaac will be able to be fooled by? And so it adds attention to the story as we're waiting to see if Jacob is going to get caught at this or not. And the exaggeration kind of plays to the suspense. It sure does. Yeah. Okay. And, and I, I wonder if that's just a way of us to kind of inhabit the mind of Jacob, who's kind of being persuaded yeah. by his mother to do this very risky thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, so what's going to happen? Um, and is he really going to be fooled by goatskin? Yeah. And he says, are you really my son Esau? And he answers, I am. And you think maybe yeah. his voice is shaking there a little bit. Yeah. And, and this next part, the with the conversation um, is absolutely essential to Jacob's narrative mm-hmm. down the road. So, so Jacob, this starts in verse 18, Jacob goes in to see Esau or uh, Isaac and Isaac can't see him and can't see what's going on. And we get the, the refrain again, but this time it's in the mouth of Jacob saying, my father and Isaac replies with the prophetic, obedient voice, here I am. Oh. So if you notice when it's, when it's Isaac and Esau, Isaac offers the, uh, the first word and Esau responds, here I am. Here Jacob offers the first word and um, Isaac gives, oh, gives the reply. He's kind of like the more powerful character. And here, we're, seeing, we're seeing a switch of roles. Mm-hmm. Um. And this also now, this role reversal kind of implicates the burgeoning of Jacob. That's, that's going to happen as a result of all this. Um, and then, and this, this is the line that's absolutely essential for later in the story. Isaac says, who are you? Now, this could very easily be because, you know, his son does not sound like Esau. Isaac uh, is is expecting Esau having to rely on his other senses, you know, the sound of the voice is going to play a role, Mm -hmm. but Isaac doesn't seem to be able to tell the difference. And this is the first main deceit by Jacob. I mean, there's been, there's been others, but he responds and says, I am Esau. Yeah. And you could literally, literally read that in Hebrew. The deceiver said, I am Esau. And Jacob pretending to be someone else is going to carry the narrative and it's going to come to a head in Genesis 32 where the wrestling character says, who are you? And for the first time in the whole narrative of Jacob, he says, I am Jacob. Oh, really? He's constantly pretended to be someone else. And in that moment of cataclysm, he finally admits who he is. And when he says, I am Jacob, he says, I am a deceiver. Mm -hmm. I mean, that whole 
that thing that thing preaches well I, <laughs> that's a powerful that's, story that's one yeah. of my favorites anyways so Jacob goes in he offers the food and requests the blessing alright he also says that it is game it's not it was not hunted um, right. and so he's still deceiving and manipulating and as we get to verse 20 you should note that Isaac is surprised that he found this game so quickly <laughs> And Jacob, in his quick wit, gives a religious qualifier to kind of make sense <laughs> of the speed. Adonai, your God, granted me success. How can you deny that? Yeah. Right? Like, well played, <laughs> exactly. Jacob. God handed it to me. Yeah. We heard that story before because, look, there was a ram caught in a thicket yeah. right when Isaac was about to be killed. So he kind of knows this idea of God will provide. Yeah. there, And it's just so interesting. Like, we look at that as like this very... Uh, pious statement mm -hmm. and it's Jacob being a yeah, really. manipulative jerk right um, so like is this the first example of playing the religious game to get fulfill some personal agenda there you go there you go um, and and uh, even Jacob there you know he jumps right into this God card and it ends that ambiguity because the situation is questionable there's all sorts of weird things going on and yeah uh, here's the God card. See, everything's good. Um, and just to point out, notice in verse 20, Jacob also says, Adonai, your God. Yeah. It should say, Adonai, our God, granted me success. Oh, that's true. He says, your God. Wow. We're, we're catching some distance here with Jacob that's going to play an effect all leading to this Genesis 32 moment, mm -hmm. okay? Isaac has a response, though. Let's give him some credit. He doesn't seem to buy it. And so he asks Jacob to come near so he can know whether or not this is actually Esau. And this is where I imagine Jacob shaking. The tension is building. You can see this. Yeah, yeah the reader's going, oh, he's going to get caught here. And, and nothing is adding up. He doesn't apparently buy the religious rubbish. And, you know... Esau is hairy. So Isaac goes, we're going to really figure out what's going on here. He, and this is where I start considering as a reader, the author is portraying Isaac knows what's going on. Oh, yeah. Right. Because otherwise he would, okay, here we go. I can't see you. Uh, everything lines up. All right, fine. Instead, Isaac seems to know, and he, but he needs evidence. Okay. So come here, okay. Jacob. Let me feel you. And now that's not going to work either. Because Rebecca was one step ahead. Yeah, you know, she thought of everything. Just as she always has been. Mm -hmm. She's a step ahead of Isaac. Um, but I really do think it's important to consider that Isaac, he's got to know what's going on. He knows it's Jacob's voice, but they've covered their tracks, so it feels like Esau's hands which are really just goat skins with a meal of goat and not game. Mm -hmm. And at this point I start considering is Isaac in on it because, because of Esau's marriage decision. Is this actually what Isaac knows is best, but he has to make sure that all the things are crossed off so he can defend himself because he actually okay. loves Esau. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of makes sense. And, and you know, I, I think he is portrayed as the full character, yes. Mm -hmm. But at this point, as we get into verse 22, um, I find myself wondering, he, he could have stopped this, and it almost is like, okay, you covered your tracks. I'm going to go ahead and go forward with it. Yeah. I'm going to pass he, this yeah, on. He would have known the prophecy about Jacob. Right. So maybe he thought, nope. Maybe he even realized, yes, I would have preferred Esau. It kind of reminds me of Abraham wanting Ishmael to go. And he kept pushing kind of Ishmael in front of God going, oh, my son Ishmael. Yeah. Maybe Isaac in this moment realizes that, nope, Jacob is the one that God has chosen. I'm just going to have to go along with what is going on here and, and do the thing that I think has probably been prophesied. And so is probably the right thing to do. Yeah. And, and this is going to continue here. Verse 24, you get another uh, deception based on, you know, Jacob pretending he's someone else. And then verse 25, a moment happens where Isaac has Jacob bring him the meal now. And again, this probably should have been a more ceremonial feature, but Isaac goes ahead and has him bring him the meal. This is also where I go. I think he's in on it. 
kind of interesting here. Um, it says, he did not recognize that because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau, so he blessed him. Then he asked another question, are you really my son Esau? It's almost like, was there a blessing and then another bigger blessing? Well, and, and just generically, it could have been. Okay. Because so generic blessing and then this is the covenantal blessing. Yeah, like blessings can be given all the time. And this whole thing might have been set up of, of Isaac just wanting to give a generic blessing to Esau. And then Rebecca turns it into this bigger uh, thing. Yeah, okay. Right? That, that is potential for what happened. And I think that's part of why... Isaac has Jacob bring him the meal instead of having this larger ceremony. And, and it is part of why I think he's in on it um, because he's going to let this go forward and he's going to let this happen. And if we, they tried to do that publicly, it wouldn't work. Right. And so it's almost like, all right, let's go ahead and do this in, in secret. And just to help make this point, I know I'm arguing for a specific thing here in verse 25, Isaac says, you know, he wants them to bring them the meal. They're going to eat. And he says that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. Yeah. Why doesn't it say that I may eat of your game and bless you? Mm-hmm. I, I think he, he knows it's not, it's not even game and it isn't Jacob and Jacob isn't Esau. So they have a meal with wine and bread. If you remember, Mm-hmm. Wine and bread. What? It's just everybody from Melchizedek on. Yes. These covenantal meals deal with wine and bread, Passover, Jesus and Eucharist and all that. Right. Okay. So then verse 26, um, Isaac calls his son near him. He's going to kiss him. He sneaks in a smell and notes (laughs) the garments and says, "Ah, the smell of my son like a field at Anai has blessed. Um, does he know it's a goat? Yeah, might be. These are the blessed fields. And what do you have in the fields but lots and flocks of goats? Yep. But then he gives him the blessing. Um, and he talks about Jacob's extravagant gain. And people will serve him. And nations will bow down to him. And he will be over his brothers. And this sounds very much like what happened when the twins were born. Oh, yes. Definitely. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and again... In that, just in the blessing he gives, he, he certainly knows this is Jacob. Oh, sure. Right? He even uses the phrase, may your mother's sons. So it's like he's bringing Rebecca into this yeah. in a way that maybe in a patriarchal society wouldn't have necessarily been said. So this is kind of like saying, not just my sons, but your mother's sons. You, you know, he knows this prophecy. And then listen what happens next. Or maybe you're sitting there reading this right now and uh, you don't need me to say that. Anyways, you get this line from Genesis 12. Anyone who curses you will will be cursed, and anyone who blesses you will be blessed. I was told to Abraham. Why does why does Isaac throw that in there? Now the the blessing doesn't have the same force that it did with Abraham, um, you know, and and it's quite focused on abundance and Israel being a force in the world. Not much here about land multiplying or blessing the world. Maybe Isaac forgot that part. It's purely focused on Jacob's position and not its ensuing action, but it brings up the curse part. Because what's Esau going to do? He's going to curse him. And, he and does. now Edom will be cursed. Yeah. Okay. So this is all kind of coming together. And then in verse 30, Esau enters. Immediately after Jacob leaves the presence of Isaac... Right. So imagine a meal going on and Isaac, you know, is in his chambers or whatever they had back then. Right. And Esau goes and prepares the meal and uh, has, you know, almost identical opening conversation, including who are you? And Isaac responds to Esau's presence by trembling and then saying, well, I already blessed the other guy. But at that point, he knows exactly who the other guy was. He blessed Jacob, or at least, at least it's a person who has the exact same voice as Jacob. Mm -hmm. And then he says, your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. And and Esau uh, has this exceedingly great and bitter cry. You know, is he not rightfully named deceiver? And who named him, by the way? Rebecca. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and, and Esau still wants a blessing. And Isaac explains like what he has given Jacob, you know, that's, that's done. And, and then Esau does get a blessing kind of, and it resembles the interaction between Ishmael and Isaac. Yeah. That's what it reminded me of too. Almost exactly. Mm-hmm. In uh, verse 39, you won't have much going to live by the sword. You're going to serve your brother. Um, but you will break loose. Yeah. Um, and th- this question should come up. Why, if, if, if uh, Isaac knew what was going on, why didn't he just wait? Why, why, and then when Esau returns, why not just say, we're going to reverse this? You couldn't do that. This is a legal contract. The thing about this is, is really, at this point so far, Jacob has technically, if you're going to look at Canaanite and Hurrian contracts and legal documents, mm-hmm. he hasn't done a single thing here that's that's not legal. Right. It's almost like one of those things where they say, well, nothing illegal against him has ever been proved <laughs> because he, you know, he actually, according to those contracts, it was possible to sell your birthright. And there's even a contract where, and during a famine, a brother does sell his birthright to the other brother for food, mm-hmm. which, I mean, like, you know, food to last, not just one bowl of stew, but nevertheless, which may be kind of a stinker thing to do to your brother, but that's the case. It's not illegal. It's not illegal. You know, even getting the bl- the blessing from his brother and taking that place as the firstborn, there is a marriage contract that people would enter where the, the husband would agree that the firstborn son of the wife was going to be the firstborn son regardless of any other wives. So even if he had another, like if he got another wife and she had a son before this wife, didn't matter, this wife's son was going to be the firstborn. Mm -hmm. So there's all these contracts going on. It's kind of interesting, though, because it's like, even though it was, this was something that was sort of looked upon with approval during the ancient times, like to get the better of somebody in a business contract, the viewpoint here is more like, okay, he hasn't done anything illegal, but morally, ethically, this isn't going to fly. And even though, yes, he does become the covenantal um, ancestor, yeah, yeah, patriarch, nevertheless, he kind of gets retribution for it in the end. He, he mm-hmm. does end up kind of um, getting involved in a, in a kind of a society where it's like, you're going to play this game, this game's going to get played against you. And that's exactly what happens. Yeah. You would expect Esau or uh, Isaac to maybe fight for Esau, a bit more. Um, and, but that's, that's also where part of me, part of me goes, I think Esau or Isaac wanted this. Yeah. He still wants to love his son Esau, but he, he's also okay that this happened. He, he may see his character. And then of course, again, because of the, the foreign wives, and I believe it's Rebecca that said, you know, because of these foreign wives, my mm-hmm. soul is, or maybe she says that later. It's kind of like she says, you know, my, my, why am I even still alive? So it's kind of like she repeats that, that she said when the children were wrestling in her womb. If it's going to be this way, why am I even alive? So he, he has a sense that Rebecca may know what she's doing. She may be right here and he's going to go along with it. Right. And, and you still do feel this fatherly sorrow. Sure. Um, you know, he weeps and he. Mm-hmm. Is, Just like with Abraham and mm-hmm. Ishmael. But, but then, you know, this kind of ends and the scene changes. And we read, now Esau hated Jacob. And uh, Isaac is, is going to die. And Esau promises to mourn for his father. Jacob doesn't. So again, mm-hmm. you start thinking like, who's the better person here? <laughs> um, yeah. And then, and then he promises that after he's done mourning, he's going to kill Jacob. Again, Rebecca's being sly. And she overhears, just like she overheard Isaac and Esau talking. Now she overhears what Esau says Mm -hmm. and commands Jacob again. um, Maybe Jacob isn't the deceiver here. He commands, she commands Jacob to flee to Laban in Haran until Esau forgets what happened. Yeah. And then she's going to send for Jacob. Yeah. This is another one of those things because Esau would have had kind of, uh, what do you call that? Like a, a, a blood right to kill his brother in these circumstances. Mm-hmm. He did something against him and now he has actually in a, uh, like, or, or if he does kill him, it's not so much that he has the blood right now that I think of it, but he is going to be angry. He's going to kill his brother. Now Jacob's blood will be on Esau. Will Esau also have to be killed. So she says, why would I lose both of my sons in one day? Sure. And that's why she says it because if Esau kills Jacob the family has the right then to kill Esau right. she doesn't want to lose both her sons um, and, and 
we should feel the parallel then to what should have happened with Esau. Mm -hmm. Esau should have gone to Laban in Haran because that's, that's where the, the covenantal lineage is going to happen and he doesn't. So it's not even just Rebecca sending Jacob to, um, to safety or protection. Right. That's, he's going to marry while he's there and be able to continue the covenant. Mm -hmm. And so there's that layer to this as well. Yeah. Um, then we then we really find out what's going on at the end. And I think the author kind of plays the uh, denouement of this story well. Because Rebecca and Isaac, they have been interacting separately the whole, this whole time. And now they're together. Yeah. And she has been the mastermind behind this deceit. That's incredibly obvious. Um, and without acknowledging what just happened. Exactly. Rebecca never goes like, so that was crazy, huh? (laughs) All she does is brings up Esau's Hittite women and how she hopes Jacob doesn't do that. Well, what's weird about this is when we get into chapter 28, will be our next one. It's weirdly like this story almost didn't happen. I mean, it obviously did, but it starts all over again with Jacob going there for a different reason altogether. It's like this last verse and then kind of takes over. The last verse of 26 as well, I think, when it talks about Esau marrying yeah. a foreign wife. And it's almost like this whole thing is just sort of like this incident that happens and then everything's different. It's kind of strange. And the, the this ambiguity kind of also plays to Isaac the Fool, yeah. where Rebecca's obviously been involved, obviously knows what's happened. I mean, just sent Jacob away to flee mm-hmm. uh, his brother because she knows Esau is going to kill Jacob and she doesn't want that to happen. And she knows why Esau is going to kill Jacob and doesn't say a word about it. Just says, so Esau's got those Hittite wives. Mm -hmm. Am I right? Mm -hmm. You know, kind of going like, it's a good thing. He didn't get the blessing. Right. You know, this was right all along. And that also helps us understand why Jacob is going to Haran because Esau married Hittites and Jacob's going to marry within the tribe. Um, and Jacob uh, will not be present now as his father dies. And that's interesting because you look at what happened when Abraham died and where uh, Sarah died. Um, and the only reason, I, I, this isn't incredibly connected to the story, but the only reason that Jacob's not going to be present when Isaac dies is because Rebecca can't stand the Hittite women. Mm-hmm. And that seems to go against the, the mourning that we have seen in Genesis so far when people have died. It's usually a big ordeal. Right. And Rebecca's willing to go, I don't want Jacob here. I'm going to blame the Hittite women, and he's going to miss this. Mm-hmm. And that's going to distance him even further from, from the Isaac narrative. Um, and all this kind of goes back to what we started with at the end of chapter 26, that Esau has brought grief to Rebekah and Isaac because now the covenant can't extend through them. And now we find out that maybe that whole thing, the whole reason that Rebekah's Ruach was bitter and, and in grief was because she needed some sort of excuse to get Jacob in that position. I get here and I go, was it even about the wives? Because yeah. the whole elder will serve the younger already happened. Is right. this, we is, knew this was going to happen. Does this have anything to do with the wives or is this all Rebecca mm-hmm. making sure that this happened? Uh, because now she has an excuse to send Jacob to get married within the family. Yeah. You know? And meanwhile, her husband is dying. <laughs> right. And, you know, you don't quite feel the love that we did in chapter 24. <laughs> yeah, I remember a- Amy sitting here going like, this is kind of romantic. Well, now how romantic is it? <laughs> a few years of marriage, a couple of Hittite wives, things don't look good anymore. And, and you don't see the grieving that happened with uh, Abraham and Sarah. No. This whole, it, it just feels a bit Game of Thrones-like to so. me. And that's how Jacob became a patriarch. Right. So there, there's pain in these names. Yeah, there's pain yeah. in this story, you know, from prostituting your wife for material gain, almost killing your heir, and then taking the covenant through deception. That's how these three become the three. And that's how this community of blessings is supposed to go out and bless the world. That's how it begins. Mm-hmm. And it just, 
It just continues this way. The leaders of the, the 12 tribes are going to trick circumcision on people. They're yeah. going to kill and plunder. They're going to exile a brother. Mm-hmm. It, the Judah and Tamar story happens. And then you keep going. Entering Canaan doesn't quite look like it was supposed to. Yeah. The book of Judges is full of failure. David, Solomon. Yeah. In some ways, Israel never actually becomes Israel. They never become the covenant people they were supposed to be who blessed the world. And I think that starts in these stories. And I think that's why they go ahead and say, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because we've continued to fail, just like our patriarchs fail. We've continued to miss the mark on this. And 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 if that's true, that means that the, the vision of Israel is still in process. And this is what you see the prophets calling back to. This is okay. going, we, we still have not arrived as Israel yet. It's still happening. Mm-hmm. And it leaves a looming question at the end of this chapter of will they ever figure this out? And that for me becomes the, the tension of Jacob's narrative. As we watch Jacob become Israel, it's kind of acting as a microcosm for Israel, how they need to become Israel that the same transition and transformation Jacob's going to finally experience in Genesis 32, that becomes the invitation for the whole, the whole tribe, the whole identity, um, for, for hundreds of years to come. Wow. Yeah. So that's Genesis 27. And this does kick off the Jacob cycle, which is going to take us for, for a while here. Um, until kind of it merges with the Joseph cycle, and and that'll take us to the end of Genesis. But I I think Jacob kind of acts as a culmination of sorts. Mm -hmm. Um, And now we're starting to read not just about people, but about uh, a whole tribe. So as we go through the, the next chapters, you know, we're reading about Jacob and his character and personality and very interesting narratives. Uh, more, more folkloric stuff's going to come up. Mm-hmm. Um, but just pay attention. You're also getting a glimpse of um, Israel's sort of meta narrative um, that will define them for, for ages to come. So pay attention to how this whole, this whole story progresses. And next time we will get into Genesis 28, which has uh, one of my favorite stories in it the dream. Oh, that happens oh, in I the middle uh, of middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what we'll get into next time. Hope you enjoyed this this long adventure through just one chapter <laughs> of the Bible that happens. Just I think it just showcases how how interesting this stuff can be. Oh, absolutely. All right, we'll see you next time.